Hello and welcome to the World Resources Institute's Big Ideas Into Action podcast. This week, why is coal one of WRI's stories to watch for the year ahead? Why is this particularly polluting source of energy still something that so many countries are holding on to? I don't think people are actually pro-coal. I think they're pro-certainty. And is the story just about coal or about something far wider? This story, as we kept developing it, really became much more about the energy transition. Hello and welcome to a deeper podcast dive into WRI's stories to watch for 2022. I'm Nicholas Walton. Every year, the World Resources Institute explains the stories that we think are critical for tracking the environment in the coming year. A couple of weeks ago, I interviewed our president, Annie Dasgupta, to hear his views on all six of these stories. But in this episode, it's time to take a bit of a deeper dive into one of those stories, coal. First of all, let's hear what Annie had to say about coal and why there's more to the issue than at first appears. We will hear a lot about coal story, and I, I think our objective here is to focus on getting the transition right. I've come across people who are very flippant about, oh, you know, the economics is too far in um, in its favor, so it's done, you know, let's move on, the coal is gone. That is not the case. It is absolutely true that we have to get coal out of our energy system. It's the most polluting, it makes most logical sense to start with. Let's get it right so that it's not disruptive. It makes sure that there is a transition, doesn't produce blackouts. That'll be a total political disaster. And then no one else would want to do any other transition. And that was Annie Dasgupta. So to kick off our deeper look at coal and the issues surrounding it, I spoke to my WRI colleague, Joel Jager, who was responsible for researching it for our Stories to Watch project. My first question, was coal an obvious candidate for inclusion as a story? It was pretty obvious because there had been so many important commitments on coal last year, and we wanted to see what would happen with them. Coal is the biggest CO2 polluter of any fossil fuel. And not only that, but coal also causes non-CO2 air pollution, which impacts people's health. Estimates are that coal is responsible for more than 800,000 premature deaths globally per year. So this is a big deal for the climate. It's a big deal for other environmental hazards. Coal has to go on a net zero emissions trajectory if we're going to limit climate change to safe levels. So there was a lot to talk about here. I mean, obviously, oil and gas are super important, too. So coal kind of fits into this whole climate change decarbonization story. But it's such an important one and needs to happen really, really fast. So that's why we decided to focus on it. Coal also feels quite symbolic because in many places it's a relic of an earlier time. And so it feels like getting rid of coal is a marker of a commitment to a new low carbon future. Yeah, that's right. Things have changed so much for coal in the last decade because renewable energy prices have fallen by so much. It's 80% or more for solar and 50% or more for wind. So coal is really on the way out in terms of the economics. Yeah, there's no place for coal in the future. But we do need these commitments, too, to make that transition happen faster. One important thing I think to emphasize is the difference between high-income countries and lower-income countries when it comes to coal, because it really is a relic in these wealthier countries that have been burning coal for longer and have these old coal plants that just can't compete. 
other um, developing countries, those plants are much newer. And so there is sort of a differentiated way in which this is going to happen. And we had to walk the line as, uh, on that as we, as we were writing the story, because generally what the decarbonization pathways say is that um, wealthier countries are going to have to shut those plants down faster, like within a decade, while uh, developing countries might, may need a little bit longer to exit coal, even though that is a necessity. And looking at coal is also a way to actually address the energy transition, which many countries are going through to a, a low carbon economy. And that's why this is a story beyond, about beyond coal, as opposed to just looking at coal itself. Yeah, that's right. We were originally, when we were devising this story, we're thinking about framing it entirely about the decline of coal. Uh, and the decline of coal investment in particular, but it's it's a much broader story because not only do we need to stop building new coal, which is easy to do because it's no longer economical, we also need to phase out the existing coal and have something that's going to replace it because we can't have coal replaced with natural gas because that's bad for the climate too. And we can't have coal replaced by nothing because then we'll have blackouts. So this story, as we kept developing it, really became much more about the energy transition. How are we going to make this shift, do it fast enough, and do it in a way in which the energy system is resilient and prepared for any whatever comes next? What did you learn about coal that you didn't know beforehand? I think what was interesting to me is how different the reliance on coal was in different countries. Like it's so much more of a challenge in some countries than others. In South Africa, coal makes up 85% of the electricity mix. In India, it's more than 50%. While let's say in the US and Europe, it's, it's much lower at this time. And so when any one country is so reliant on one type of energy, this becomes a huge problem. China, for instance, because of their over-reliance on coal. When coal prices increased last year, that became a massive problem and they had to start rationing and you know there were rolling blackouts that occurred. Yeah, the, the extent to, to which the reliance on coal varies is really interesting and does kind of bring up this idea of differentiated responses and how countries are gonna actually tackle this and how some support is needed. And that was Joel Jager. You're listening to WRI's Big Ideas Into Action podcasts, and this is the first in a short series of deep dives into our 2022 Stories to Watch project. Next, for more analysis of coal, I turn to Jennifer Lakey, WRI's Global Director for Energy. The issues that we saw brought forward in the climate change negotiations this year really centered on uh, what the investment patterns are going to be in the energy sector going forward. And as we saw at Glasgow, the kinds of commitments spanned the whole spectrum from things that were around expanding renewable energy, expanding investment in helping people get access to energy. So those kinds of commitments were all central. And in that question is how to get one of the most polluting sectors in the world, the energy sector to change its business-as-usual approach to producing additional energy. So right now, in the portfolio and the pipeline of many countries, including China, Vietnam, Indonesia, India, 
is a very significant remaining share of that power in the future that is anticipated to come from coal. So in looking at the coal issue, you have to recognize that we're managing two different things, the growth and the need for energy in order to improve the well-being of the world's people, and the fact that if we build out all the coal that these economies have indicated they need, that we are simply going to drive the climate, the temperature rise and the climate emissions to unsustainable levels. So this year is pivotal because if we are going to change the emissions trajectory, we are quickly running out of time. What makes coal so tricky is that it's not just a question of how much it costs compared to other energy sources. It's about the politics of coal and how much that varies country by country. Absolutely correct. The the country by country plan for a coal transition is going to be something that has to be generated locally. And that is because every country is facing a different set of technological options. They're looking at a different type of economic balance. So if you're looking at um, countries that are producing coal, as you've seen in the United States, there's a community of workers that have to be engaged. We have to find a way to give them alternative livelihoods. If you're thinking about a country like India, you have railways and railway employees that are dependent on the shipping of coal. If you're looking at China, you have the recognition that there is a set of people who are out in those mines, and that's a significant amount of jobs and income that you have to then manage for. So the role coal plays and the role of other resources, whether you have geothermal, wind, solar, other kinds of technology options, all of that is going to have to be developed in national circumstance. Jennifer, do you see coal as emblematic of the issues around the energy transition, a bit of a marker of whether or not we can achieve it? I think that the coal transition is the first test of our global ability to manage change at the scale we need. This transition is fundamental, but it's not the only transition we face. So when you think about what comes next, well, we know that we have a transition that would be around natural gas, also a fossil fuel, also a technology in the power sector, but also in manufacturing and used uh, for heating uh, and used in a whole variety of other types of applications as a feedstock. So the question of coal is emblematic because it speaks to how do we create a transition. And coal happens to be the first and most significant single approach, single technology approach uh, that we have. Can we get rid of this as a fuel? You mentioned the jobs associated with coal, which is just one more important issue that needs dealing with in the energy transition. How do you see such issues playing out? What's important? I think it's an important communications challenge and one that, whether it's the environmental community or the policy community or the utilities themselves, um, are going to have to think very carefully about where people's concerns are going to be. You know, right now, we know the cost of inaction on climate change is going to create significant and mounting costs and risks. And with all of the weather disruptions and the challenges that we've seen in terms of fires and other climate impacts, 
we know that there are real costs to inaction, and I think consumers understand that. The question I think facing most households is, how do I manage today in terms of my energy costs, my energy burden, and what does this change mean for me? I don't think people are actually pro-coal. I think they're pro-certainty, and that is where we have to talk about what does it take. Wind and solar and other renewables do not have fuel price inputs. There's no cost to running those once they have been built. But we do have to invest in infrastructure, and those investments are going to be something that we're going to hear a lot more about and could create some political waves. We know, however, that the lowest cost new resources are those that are not fossil fuel based. And we know that the security concerns of being dependent on fossil fuels is something that many economies are grappling with right now. Uh, certainly, pipelines for natural gas are in the news. Certainly, we know that the kinds of um, disruptions associated with coal shipping are in the news. For most people, this idea that there is this uh, lack of security based on fossil fuel use, is a message that resonates. But what they want to know is, how do I not end up with a greater energy burden, and how do I know that it will be reliable? And that can be managed through policy, that can be managed through communications, and we can't underestimate how important it is in a climate that is going to be more volatile to make sure our infrastructure is designed for the new world that we're going to be living in. So those investments are critical to take sooner rather than later, but we have to be very transparent that it's an entire system that's going to change as we move forward. And that was Jennifer Lakey. If you haven't already seen Annie Dasgupta's presentation on the overall stories to watch 2022, you can find it on our website at wi.org slash stories dash two dash watch. As I mentioned earlier, you can also find a podcast that I did with Annie at wri.org slash podcasts, where you can find a library of insights and investigations into everything from the ocean economy to road safety, or dig out our WRI podcasts wherever you listen to them. I'll be doing a few other deep dives connected to our Stories to Watch projects, so keep your ears peeled for them. I'm Nicholas Walton, and until then, goodbye for now.